Today on Ag News Daily. Promoting youth and youth's involvement with the American Ford Horse Association is actually one of the top initiatives that AQHA is focusing in on, explicitly to make sure that we keep youth interested long beyond um, their AQHYA years and to make sure that they have plenty of opportunities for future careers with horses. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday, October 27th. Delaney Hall joined today by Cassidy Zirkle, sponsored by Red Summit Advisors and farmingtheweb.ca. Create your first listing today with Farming the Web and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Cassidy, how are you doing today? I'm so good, Delaney. So excited to finally have a Girl Power episode after so long. I know. It's been, we've been missing you. I had some fun with Tanner earlier this week, but always glad to record with you as well. Well, Tanner says he's allegedly sick, so I guess we're going to give him the day off. He did have the sniffles yesterday. He was blaming harvest. Okay. Well, he was harvesting, I know, yesterday, helping drive grain grain truck for a few farmers. So we'll give him the day off. He probably needs a little rest. (laughs) Well, Delaney, I will tell you that someone else that needs some rest is dairy farmers fighting with dairy alternatives. It looks like dairy alternatives are looking to reach about 52.5 billion in profits by the year 2028 as compared to 19.29 billion in 2021. This increase comes from an increase in lactose intolerance and milk allergies in our population. And I think dairy farmers are getting frustrated with this fight. Yeah, I would agree. And we've talked a lot about alternative options like this in the marketplace. And I think it's important to also remember that while we may not, some of us may not agree with seeing that in the marketplace, it does help those growers that, you know, raise nuts like almonds and things like that, that are providing um, the resources for these alternative products. But we still want to be able to support both industries. Exactly. I always say almonds are agriculture too. So I think it's good to see one of the sectors of agriculture growing. And I hope that dairy and dairy alternatives can coexist peacefully. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I will always be a milk drinker, unless I guess I turn lactose intolerant suddenly at a later age in life. But I will always be a milk drinker, ice cream eater and cheese eater. So I will always support the dairy industry, but to each their own. Cassidy, I'm going to switch tracks here because we've got to continue to the discussion about the Mississippi River. We've seen some Cargill facilities now have closed down, saying that they will not be able to ship on the Mississippi due to low water levels. Facilities in Hickman, Kentucky and Keithburg Keithsburg, Illinois, both have posted on their websites that they were are going to stop taking deliveries of grain this week due to lower levels on the Mississippi and not being able to get the grain that they have out. They said, quote, we are full on corn and yellow soybeans and will not be taking until river levels change. So certainly going to cause some back up there for those facilities. And I think they're not alone. We've seen other facilities that have put out similar statements, Uh, but it's interesting. Tanner sent me a TikTok yesterday, which I know TikTok may not be a valid news source, (laughs) but he sent me a TikTok of a gentleman who was loading a grain barge up. I can't remember where at in Minnesota, somewhere along the Mississippi up in Minnesota. And he said that the 
the the news of all barge shipment and traffic and stuff like that shutting down was BS because they were still loading barges and still shipping things out. So I think we might need to dig a little bit deeper into this one, Cassidy. That is one thing about TikTok. You can get the on the ground perspective from a lot of people. And I, I enjoy that because we have been watching this story really closely. And Tanner even reported some more yesterday on the low water levels and their effects. So it's good to see some personal accounts of what's actually happening along the river. Yeah, not denying that the river levels are low and that's some facilities are shutting down, but there are definitely still facilities that are shipping soybeans. Absolutely. I'll tell you somewhere else that's being affected by low water levels and a drought right now is Louisiana. They're one of the top four producers of sweet potatoes, along with California and along with California, North Carolina, and Mississippi. And their harvest is looking to be very dismal this year because of their drought. In the article I read from Fox Weather, a farmer complained that he hasn't had rain in over two months. And this is putting his bins that are usually full of sweet potatoes by now, only half full right now. So there might be a sweet potato shortage at Thanksgiving time. Cassidy, are you a sweet potato eater during Thanksgiving? I am not, but I have reported similar things earlier this year about low peanuts and crawfish harvest coming from Louisiana, and I'll be missing both of those crops for sure. Mm. Well, I guess stock up early now because, you know, you consider there will be a lesser supply, it sounds like, and also inflation will continue to impact prices at the grocery store. But switching tracks here to talk about exports, I've got two export related pieces of news here. One coming to us from Ukraine that stated in the last half of October, grain shipments out of Ukraine have severely slowed, largely due to Russia. And their slow pace of ship inspections. You can read between the lines for yourself whether or not you think that is intentional. But all ships approaching Ukraine must be inspected for weapons, according to the agreement that was reached and brokered by Turkey and the UN. And that grain to flow out of three approved Ukrainian ports that we've talked about must be improved, must be um inspected by Russian officials first. They're taking a long time and really have seemed to be dragging their feet, which has continued to back more vessels up here in recent days. About 160 vessels are waiting to have inspections done. And Ukraine has exported just 12.2 million metric tons of grain this year since July 1st, compared to 18.2 million metric tons the same period last year. So, going to see those exports hit the pipeline, just going to see them coming at a very slow pace. But I mentioned I had two pieces of export news here. My second is that low export demand this morning really has put a top on today's market prices. The USDA announced corn weekly export sales of 264,000 metric tons of old crop Versus the 350 to 1 million tons expected by traders today. So certainly seeing some lackluster exports in the corn markets, in the soybean pits. Uh, we're seeing light trade today, decent export sales reported today, fairly in line with trade expectations coming in at just over a million metric tons. And that has certainly, certainly will keep the commodity markets 
moving right along here. Going to be a demand-driven market moving forward. But Cassidy, before we get to our next piece of news, I wanted to remind our folks that we are sponsored today by Farming the Web. Are you looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell agricultural products or get the word out about your ag event? Avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca. This is Canada's best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. Well, Delaney, bringing it back stateside, aside from those export news topics you covered, I have some news coming from PepsiCo. I know we've been talking a lot lately about lowering emissions and emissions laws going into place, and PepsiCo has a goal to reach net zero emissions by 2040. Last year, they actually showed a 5% increase in their scope three emissions. And to help combat this obvious failure to move towards lower emissions last year, they are moving towards their farmers to work on implementing sustainable farming practices. The only one really mentioned in this article is cover crops, but they're hoping that moving to the farm level, they can work on lowering those emissions. Yeah, that's certainly going to be a continued conversation here, Cassidy, and segues nicely into my piece of news here, which is that a second company has sought a permit to build a carbon pipeline here in the state of Iowa. This time, Texas-based company Navigator CO2 has filed for a permit with the Iowa Utilities Board on Tuesday of this week to build a 900-mile pipeline across the state to transport liquefied carbon dioxide collected from ethanol refineries and other facilities. They want to build it here so that it would transport it to Illinois, where it would be sequestered underground. This is, of course, like I said, one of two companies now that has filed for permits, of course, or the first really to file the permit, of course, being Summit Carbon Solutions, Cassidy, that has had a lot of headway and a lot of pushback so far on getting the permits needed and the infrastructure needed to actually build the pipeline. So I'm sure Navigator CO2 will have similar challenges here, but this will be the largest uh, pipeline, I believe, in the country if built. They are partnering with Poet and they plan to collect CO2 from 33 Poet plants in Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska, Minnesota, and South Dakota. So this is actually going to be a multi-state pipeline, whereas Summit Carbon Solutions is also going to be multi-state, um, but I think a few less states here compared to Navigator CO2. Interesting story there, Delaney, and maybe we can get our friends from Poet back on the show to talk a little bit about the differences in those two pipelines. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of producers have question marks about how this all works. Will it impact the ability to farm those acres where the pipeline is built? Is it safe? There's a lot of question marks around this that I think those companies are going to have to educate and share about before a large majority of people support this type of initiative. Absolutely. My last little piece of news here comes from Oregon State University. Since being up here in the Pacific Northwest, I've gotten a lot of news from them, and it always seems to be pretty interesting, the research they're doing. They've actually determined that genetically modified yeast strains can alter the fermentation process to create beers with a significantly more pronounced hops aroma. So yeast is actually a really big crop around here, and they're saying that 
Being able to use genetically modified yeast can help these farmers across the Pacific Northwest to grow and focus more on being environmentally conscious. Interesting. Okay. I don't know much about yeast, so I'm glad that you're filling us in today. Well, I've learned a lot about very different crops since moving up here, so I'm excited to keep finding new stories like this. I imagine that you have. You're going to be our soon uh, Western reporter from the (laughs) West Coast there. But Cassidy, I think taking a look at news on my docket, I am all out for today, aside from chatting markets, of course, here. But let's take one more quick break to hear from our other podcast sponsor today, Red Summit Advisors. Hey, this is Anne over at the BLM. With this drought, we're going to need to cut that permit two weeks early. We sure want those calves, but they'll be coming in light, so we'll need to negotiate. Hey, this is your Red Summit Advisors agent. We've got a check in the mail to you now from your PRF policy. Help restore your peace of mind with solutions like pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. Visit RedSummit.com or call 1-800-825-2355 to talk with a local agent about how PRF insurance could help you stay afloat this year. Cassidy, as we take a look at the... Commodity markets here, new crop corn, like I said, there is trading lower this morning on lackluster export demand report that was kicked out by the USDA. December new crop corn down about two pennies on the morning here at the midday at 683. New crop soybeans up just slightly on the day at 1384, up about two and a half cents on the morning. And Chicago, December wheat up nine and three quarters cents here at the midday to trade at 850 and a quarter. Taking a look at the livestock markets today, we're seeing weakness in the live cattle and feeder cattle complex as the December live cattle contract is down about 17 and a half cents on the morning at 153.40. November feeders are unchanged on the day at a buck 78.82, while December, excuse me, while January feeders are down about two pennies on the day at a buck 81.22. And December lean hogs down about two dollars 82 and a half cents today here at the midday to trade right at 85.67 and a half. Cassidy, I know you're more in tune with our schedule. Remind us and our listeners, who are we talking to today? Today, we get to talk with Ms. Kyla Meyer-Jones from the American Quarter Horse Association, who's actually going through their championship season right now. So this will be an exciting conversation. Well, listeners, taking a bit of a different approach this morning, talking about an industry you don't get to talk a lot about, the horse industry with Kyla Jones from the American Quarter Horse Association. Thank you for joining us, Kyla. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we jump in, I know some of our listeners may not be very familiar with this organization. So give us a little bit of the background and history of the AQHA. Absolutely. So the American Quarter Horse Association has our international headquarters located in Amarillo, Texas. Um, Not only do we serve the United States, but we serve um, a multitude of international countries that have American Quarter Horses and American Quarter Horse enthusiasts um, housed within their countries. So this includes people from a variety of different disciplines and interests. We have people who enjoy showing, ranching, rodeo, uh, racing events, and also just your recreational rider and people who just love the uh, company of an American quarter horse. 
the American Quarter Horse was actually um, founded in 1940 um, in Fort Worth. A group of ranchers came together and they really wanted to distinguish the horses that they had called their own from all the different types of horses that you found in the United States at that time. Wow. I had pulled up your website in preparation for this conversation and it is a very well done website and is full of a bunch of information. Is this an association that requires a specific membership or can anybody be a part of it? So anybody can actually become a member of the American Quarter Horse Association. Um, you don't have to own a horse. You don't have to compete in anything. If you enjoy horses, there's a multitude of member benefits that come with being a member of AQHA, aside from being able to show or compete at AQHA sanctioned events. Um, members also actually receive the American Quarter Horse Journal. That'll come six times a year. On top of that, they also have a variety of member benefits with AQHA corporate partners who support people's interests in horses and also want to continue to see more people get interested in horses, um, aside from what they might get on their day-to-day life. So let's dive in a little deeper into those membership benefits. What are some of the things you offer those members that may not be competing in anything, but are just in it with their horses and looking for some services from NQHA? So specifically a member benefit um, for those who do actually own their horses, actually the AQHA horseback riding program. In my own opinion, I find it to be one of the cooler programs that we offer in the sense that you are rewarded for spending time with your horse. And at the heart of it, that's what we ultimately want out of people is to spend time with their horses and to truly enjoy the time that they're spending with their horses. So what you can do, and this includes um, two different divisions, the American Quarter Horse Division and then an All Breeds Division. So that's for all in horse enthusiasts of all different breeds and all different interests. But what you'll do is you'll get a log sheet um, and you log the hours and the time that you're spending with your horse in the saddle or working on the ground, working with the horse, and you get all kinds of rewards. Um, At the end of the program, of course, that's the crown jewel of all the rewards. But in the meantime, you get all kinds of tack, um, grooming equipment, bell boots, you name it, that's sent to you at different benchmarks throughout the program to reward you for spending time outside at the barn with your horse. Wow, that's intriguing. For somebody who doesn't know a lot about horses, what makes a quarter horse a quarter horse? So a quarter horse was actually, um, it's kind of a funny story, especially to see where it started and then where everything kind of wound up. Um, But according to the first meeting that was on April 22nd in 1940, um, all quarter horses must be able to run a quarter mile in 23 seconds or show that they're capable of quarter horse performance under ranch conditions. So that's kind of our roots um, way back in the day. But now we've grown to be the most versatile breed in the world um, based off of what the American quarter horse is capable of doing. Um, Aside from that, what makes a quarter horse a quarter horse um, is, of course, the bloodlines and the breeds. Based off of our foundation um, studs, stallions, anything that traces back to there would be considered an American quarter horse. Now, Kyla, as someone who was a member of the AQHA as a kid in the youth programs and experienced a lot of benefits from it and, of course, loved my quarter horses growing up, what are some of the benefits you have for the youth in the organization? I know there's a ton of competitions and scholarships available. So 
promoting youth and youth's involvement with the American Ford Horse Association is actually one of the top initiatives that AQHA is focusing in on explicitly to make sure that we keep youth interested long beyond um, their AQHYA years and to make sure that they have plenty of opportunities for future careers with horses. So one of the programs that we actually offer for that transition is AQHA Lead. Um, That's to where young adults that are involved in college can mentor with other people in the equine industry based off of their interests to try to implant themselves in the industry, get more experience, and to learn from some of the best in the industry. Aside from that, like you'd mentioned, there's a multitude of scholarships. There's a multitude of programs. Another program to help kids get started with horses too um, would actually be our Young Horse Development Program. So that one in particular is super cool. Um, We have AQHA Ranching Heritage Breeders and they'll donate foals that were born on their ranch from their bloodstock horses and they'll give it to selected youth participants and AQHYA members for them to learn how to work with a young horse, um, to start a young horse and to work with different AQHA professional horsemen to train this horse up so that way it can be used later down the road for anything, um, I mean, that we use American Quarter Horses for. It's super cool and an awesome opportunity for people who are interested in horses or want to learn more about how how to be a good steward of the horse. That does sound like a great opportunity, but what is AQHA looking forward to in the future? In the future, I mean, a lot of that comes back to our youth, keeping them retained long beyond their AQHYA years, getting them involved with the AQHA legislative process. Um, We actually have our annual convention every year. And this past year, we did our inaugural um, AQHYA alumni um, reception where we're inviting all of these people. So, Cassidy, you would be one of them um, invited to come to convention be a part of the process where rule change proposals get brought up to these committees and to AQHA leadership and be a part of the change and to share your experiences to help shape the future of AQHA. That's awesome. And I'd have to look into being a part of that because it does sound like a great opportunity. Now, I know you said in our pre-conversation that y'all have some pretty big events coming up with the championship show. Tell us a little bit about that and when it'll be. Yes, so fall season at AQHA actually means championship season. Um, One of the main ones that we're looking down the pipes towards is our 2022 Farnham AQHA Worlds and Adequan Select World Championship show. That's where we have all of our amateur open and then select amateur competitors meet us in Oklahoma City from October 27th to November uh, 19th to compete in a variety of our world championship events. So this will cover everything from Western horsemanship to reining, cutting, working cow horse, um, halter events, barrel racing, jumping. If you can dream it, we probably have a class for it offered at the World Show, and we'd love to see anybody there. That's cool. Well, we are running out of time on today's conversation. This is more than I had expected. So if somebody wants to find your website or reach out to you guys, what is the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So we would encourage everybody who's interested in AQHA to visit us at AQHA.com. From there, you'll see a variety of tabs that'll point you in the right direction based off of your interest. You can also visit us on social media, um, AQHA on Instagram, Facebook, and we also have a new TikTok page. So come check us out. We have an awesome team of people that are putting together some really cool content, and we would love to engage with you online. Fantastic. Well, Kyla, thank you again for joining us. We look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks for having me. We appreciate y'all.
Well, Delaney, always excited to get a little insight from the horse industry. And I know they have a lot of cool things going on over at AQHA. So be sure, listeners, to check out their website to find out more. Absolutely, Cassie. We're going to have a great Farmer Friday conversation tomorrow with a farmer that's very special, very good friend of the podcast. So folks do stay tuned for that conversation. McCassidy, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 